outside of India and welcome to Machan Visit the World podcast. I've been lucky enough to be studying at a university in Moscow with students from across the world. I want to use this opportunity to learn more about the different peoples through their stories. Join me on this journey across the world through stories told by the people that have lived them. With me, you're Machan. That means bro in South Indian languages. I hope you learned something new with me today. Hello everybody, we are back and this time we are for the first time in Europe. I'm so excited. I've been planning for this episode for a really long time and with us is Mario from if you know that name you can guess where that is from from Italy. Mario? Hello, Yado. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> Finally you're here and uh, Mario is just coming back from Covid. <laughs> He was infected with it and he has been sick but he's healthy now and he's back and he is finally ready for the sport cuz we've been scheduling this since a few months right yes exactly yeah <laughs> and uh, we met in the gym yeah actually <laughs> so that's that's really cool because uh, i didn't expect to meet an italian person in a gym in russia and i actually didn't know you were italian and then i sort of found out that he was and more interesting he is in ruden but he's not a student so um, what are you doing here mario what are you doing in russia i am i'm working i'm working at the university mm-hmm. uh, at the international relations office uh, and i also uh, teach at the faculty of economics so i have a, a kind of a two ta- main tasks at oh, the okay. university yeah you, so so you teach as well as you work for then so you're yeah. not a student Yes, uh, I I came here as a student uh-huh. uh, 9 years ago uh, to study Russian language. Okay. I was very attracted by the language and the Russian culture. Uh, I got a scholarship from the Ministry of Education of okay. Russia and uh, that gave this scholarship gave me the possibility to study first one year as an intensive course of right. Russian at the preparatory faculty and then right. co- continue my studies in a PhD program. Ah. Uh, but uh, uh, one of my goal when I came here was also to find a job uh, in the at the university. Okay. So since the very beginning uh, um, I tried to to find opportunities uh, uh, also working opportunities at the university. Uh-huh. And um, because of my previous experience Uh, when I lived in Europe, uh, where I was involved in many projects related at university level, okay. so um, I think my main goal was to work at uh, uh, in some units of the university that were uh, uh, involved in international projects in the fi- in the field of higher education. Okay, if if I may go back, what were you doing a PhD in, and what did you study for your masters and bachelors back in yeah. Europe? Um, my my PhD in uh, Moscow was at the Department of Comparative Politics, mm-hmm. and uh, I decided to analyze the uh, uh, policies in the field of uh, higher education, okay. the field of uh, university. So, mm. um, and uh, uh, my b- background uh, uh, is in uh, uh, politics, international relations. Uh, and i have a, a, a postgraduate master in european studies oh, so okay. i'm very much interested in so everything what is that is related with the european union european integration wow so why did you go to russia <laughs> from that background why did you choose russia as your 
area of interest? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, um, I, before coming here, I was very, I had a lot of experiences within Europe. I took part in a lot of uh, exchange programs that uh, paid, uh, financed by the European Union. There are this uh, European Union scheme uh, promoting like, mobility. Like so I had Erasmus. The yes, Erasmus. I had the possibility to study uh, one year in Ireland, then I uh, moved to Spain, uh, to France, Portugal, uh, wow. Poland. Uh, These uh, this European uh, Union uh, programs are very cool because they give the opportunity to live in a country, to learn the language, have a lot of uh, inter interesting experience. So mm. my, before uh, I came to Russia, I had, a, I think, a very good overview of what was Europe, but um, I wanted to know a little, little bit more. Um, and I was very interested in uh, neighbor countries of the European Union, so countries like uh, Russia, Ukraine, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Turkey, um, and uh, that's why I started to find uh, different opportunities in neighbor countries and Russia because it's the biggest country, mm. also because of the language, I think it was my first choice. So I, de I decided to, to find opportunities in, in, in Russia. In Russia. Yeah. And is that quite, I think is that quite, I think it's quite rare for Europeans to actually choose to come and do a university in Russia because most of our students are mainly not from Europe, they are from Asia, Africa and South America. So how would that experience be when you are a European student, when you grew up in that academic uh, environment of, let's say, you studied in Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, and then you moved to Russia. What was that contrast for you? Ah, yes, it was huge. Actually, before leaving, uh, my the comments of my friends were very mixed. Some of them were kind of saying, oh, it's a nice adventure. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm, I think it's gonna we're gonna be interesting there. Others say that uh, so that I was crazy <laughs> because uh, before moving to Moscow, I lived in in Brussels, uh, where the quality of salaries, quality of life was uh, pretty pretty, um, pretty higher high. than Moscow. Yes, and also the prospects of working uh, in an uh, international relations yes, field is uh, much higher in yes, Brussels. Yes, it were uh, were pretty good. Uh, moving to Russia, working uh, uh, in the uh, starting as a, again as a student, uh, mm -hmm. or uh, having prospects in working in the higher education sector, where salaries in, in Russia are much lower than in Belgium, for instance. Uh, it was really yes, it was uh, perceived by many of my friends as a uh, crazy choice, and also uh, many in, in Europe had some kind of. Uh, uh, ideas that uh, Russia is uh, not a safe country. Especially uh, for Europeans. Yeah, they say there were some kind of uh, stereotypes that yeah. the, the city is, uh, is dangerous, Russian, uh, the is unsafe. Uh, um, but then actually it was, I think, uh, when I came here, at the beginning I was very um, cautious, but then I saw that uh, it was not the case. And, mm. I never faced any problems. And you've been here for nine years. That yes. means you obviously like it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I like wow. it very much. That's really interesting. I, I, I didn't realize that you had like a history in international relations and international organizations back in, uh, sorry, back in Europe. Yeah. And what contrast could you draw between the educational system in the European university that you studied and 
Russian universities uh, here? You know, it's, I cannot make a full comparison because I studied here uh, only, um, I study only in uh, uh, preparatory faculties, so an intensive course of Russian language and PhD. Mm -hmm. The preparatory faculty looks like a school system. Exactly. So, <laughs> That's I can, uh, the only, the, 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 the more similar comparison I can do is with when, when I studied at school in Italy. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, it's, it's a different, uh, there are, it's a different methodology of teaching, of um, managing a class of a teacher. Um, I must say I quite, quite enjoyed to, um, to see this. Uh, Preparatory, even I enjoyed. It was like going back to school when you're 22 yeah. and you're like, no, for, oh, for me, th thank you for so much attention and care, teacher. But once you get into college, it's different. I mean, university is kind of different. Yeah, but then the other is was, uh, uh, so the first experience was one year as, uh, in um, a preparatory faculty and then the other experience was as a PhD student. Mm -hmm. When you're a PhD student is there highest level you have in a university so right. you have almost no classes individual mm. work so basically you are already uh, in, you are independent, independent yeah. so you should really have some meetings with your supervisor and do your work alone so it's up to you to continue the research uh, and uh, work on what you are discussing with the, with the, your supervisor exactly so it's um, um, I never studied before in a PhD program in Europe, so, oh, so I, I don't have mm. any ways of comparison. I can, uh, the only way to compare is uh, when I discuss with uh, uh, friends who are, were doing their PhD in, uh, in Europe. So, of course, in, in that sense, we could uh, find some differences. Mm. But um, myself, I never, exp I, could, uh, I didn't have a previous experience in Europe so to compare it. Right. What about the environment? What about the demographic of universities, let's say, Rudena and the other mm -hmm. universities that you studied? Mm -hmm. Would you find this much variety of students from different countries in other European universities that you've been to? Yeah, look, I, um, I have uh, three different uh, types of comparison I can do. Uh, the first is when I studied one year in Ireland mm -hmm. through the Erasmus pro program. So there was, uh, uh, we were about uh, 300 international students from all, all, all around Europe, mostly, mm -hmm. studying in Ireland. So we were uh, like this uh, international bubble of international students uh, living in, uh, in Cork, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. So we had our uh, Erasmus life right. and that, that was uh, one experience. The other was uh, when I did my uh, postgraduate master's in European studies, uh, it was uh, a master of, uh, in uh, our promotion there were uh, 100 students from uh, um, all European countries. So right. there were some from France, Germany, Italy, uh, very few of them were from third countries, uh, Brazil right. or United States. Uh, so that was a very, very international environment. Also, our teachers were from uh, uh, many countries. So right. we had some teachers from Italy, France, uh, Belgium, and so on. Uh, but that was mostly, I would say, in these two previous experiences were mostly a European dimension. Exactly. Now, when I, when I came to Ruden, to, to Russia, it was a really... A, perceived uh, experience a more international uh, dimension because here the students are really from all over the world and uh, actually uh, very few of them are from Europe exactly so uh, I um, uh, I felt a little bit uh, 
no, kind of strange because the, the, the difference of cultures is huge mm-hmm. between Europe and uh, other parts of the oh. world. Even if, the, uh, okay, the, the European culture is, I think it's uh, is strong in, uh, in some other parts of the world. From the linguistic point of view, because they, can, they speak uh, English, French or uh, All Spanish. All Roman languages. Yeah, or uh, um, cultural, because some of them were former colonies of mm-hmm. European countries, so there is... A, uh, yeah, some, uh, uh, yeah, there is a uh, European influence, but in the end, uh, the the cultures are different. So, mm. um, uh, uh, I felt a lot the difference uh, when I arrived here. That uh, yes, it, it, I, I perceived that it was mm, not Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to, to to think in a different way, to handle situation in a different way. Uh, and but it was very enriching uh, because I could mm, feel uh, a new perspective uh, that um, I didn't have before. I think that's really unique to Rudin because most of the peop- students here come from post-colonial, in quotes, third world countries, which I don't think most universities in Europe won't have. Yeah. Because th- this the Russian government does support through scholarships a lot of students from a lot of countries which are you, you, you usually won't find in a European campus as part of Russia's soft power diplomacy. Hence, we have really diverse environment, which I don't think... I, I, I can't think of any other university which would have such a diverse environment in terms of people from countries you wouldn't expect to be here, which I agree, yeah. makes it quite interesting. Yes, I definitely. Yes, I, I fully agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the perception, the attitude of the people of that country towards foreign students? Could you make a comparison between Russia and the other universities that you were part of in France, Portugal and... In in which sense? In like, do people expect a lot of students who are not, for, in your case, you can compare with Europeans. Yeah. Because, because of the Euro zone and the Schengen zone, travel between Europe is quite normalized and people expect to see a French person in mm-hmm. Germany. It's quite normal. Mm-hmm. But in the Russian sense, it's very strange for them to see a lot of foreigners come to a particular university. Yeah. And I always get the question, why did you choose Russia yeah. to come study? Yeah. And because for them, they kind of find it, um, they can kind of understand, yes, we come from... For to get better education than what's available in our countries. But they also find it strange that we come to Russia yeah. or we come to this foreign country. So did other people in Europe, I expect not, have the same attitude where they're kind of surprised of you being a foreigner and coming to study in their country? I experienced it more when I was in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, when I was in, even in the city center, and I was speaking in, um, in English or in Italian with other friends, uh, the people, uh, the others uh, were curious uh, about that and asking, uh, started to ask questions, where are you from? And then when they, they knew that I was from Italy, they started, uh, there was a lot of big curiosity. Mm-hmm. In Europe, <coughs> um, uh, it was much less. It's quite like, normalized, uh, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. I was in... Uh, uh, before coming to M- Moscow, I lived in Brussels, but Brussels is an international city. Yeah. There are almost no Belgians. <laughs> there are all, all foreigners. Yeah. So um, for them, it's normal to, uh, to, to, to meet an Italian 
French, yeah. German, it was not so, so real. And it, it, it's like, it's a feature of the Eurozone, right? Where you, when you have that much freedom of movement, it doesn't quite make it as exciting to meet a person who is not from that particular country. Well, well uh, Belgium, I think it's an extreme case. Mm-hmm. Uh, big cities, big European cities like Milan, Rome, Barcelona. Uh, they have a lot of international students. But if you move to more like peripheral areas, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are not so many foreigners, so they can they can ask. But even I've been also in uh, lived in. Uh, let's say, peripheral areas of Europe. Um, ah, yes, I was with this experience. In um, 2008, uh, I did the European Voluntary Service in, uh, in Poland. And I mm-hmm. was in a, not a big town in um, central Poland. And in that town, they, they didn't have uh, experiences with, uh, with international people from abroad okay. so uh, I was really popular <laughs> because they never seen with their eyes any oh. a person from Italy and we were volunteers from different countries uh, uh, they were volunteers from Germany Spain France and Turkey mm. and we were working in a school language language school so for you were teaching Italian I was teaching Italian oh, and wow. I participated in the language uh, courses so um, you know um, with, yeah, with students when you have these uh, oral like, like uh, activities to, yeah. to, to talk and practice language so I part- was participating in the uh, French classes uh, English classes uh, and for students it was uh, interesting because uh, it was a way to bring something international to them yeah. to a reality that was uh, that would been really exciting yeah yes 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 so what language do you speak? I know you speak quite a bit. <laughs> uh, okay, now I uh, speak uh, uh, and I practice English, uh, mm-hmm. Italian, which is my mother tongue, French, mm-hmm. Spanish and Russian. Mm-hmm. But at school I studied also German, which I forgot, mm-hmm. and also uh, Polish, uh, because I lived in Poland two years, Oh. but I forgot it, um, so I lost... Um, you lost I, I, when I read it, uh, when I can... Uh, no, when I see something written, I can guess a lot, but uh-huh. uh, I cannot say I speak it. Wow. Then also Portuguese. I uh, lived uh, three months in Portugal, uh-huh. and I really enjoyed it because it was sim- rather similar to Spanish. Uh, of course, there are two different languages. I mixed them, <laughs> a sort of uh, Portignol, which Portignol. is Portignol. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, I understand a lot when it's written. Mm. Uh, but I lost practice, so. Wow. No, I, I think uh, I would need to go there and stay a bit to, to practice it. Damn. That's, that's quite, a, how do you say, it? that's a very European phenomenon where you have this base when you know, you know Italian, which is kind of like the uh, vulgar Latin version of all the Romance languages. So you would be able to learn Spanish quite easily compared to a person who doesn't speak, uh, doesn't know Italian. And you kind of went use that for French too. And how was learning Slavic languages like Polish and ah, Russian? Uh, how was that for you? Difficult, yes, yes, very difficult. It was uh, uh, much, much more difficult than uh, learning Spanish or French. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in, in Poland, I, I didn't uh, had such good courses of Polish languages. Uh, 
uh, I got here in, in Russia. Mm. So, uh, and also I'd here in Russia, I had the possibility to attend a lot, a lot of classes. Mm, and I didn't have this opportunity in Poland. So in, Pol- in Poland, I would say, uh, it was a kind of failure <laughs> for me because I, I wanted to learn Polish, but I didn't uh, manage. But in, in Russian, of course, I... Uh, I still have uh, difficulties because it's a hard language, yeah. but uh, at least I can uh, express everything what I want to say. And uh, I, I work in Russian. Uh, so I think it's okay, the level I got it. Of course, you could always improve, <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy of what I did manage to do. Would this argument be true, where if I say you're more incentivized to learn Russian in Russia than in Europe, major cities in Europe, let's say, because most of the people don't speak English. You're more incentivized, let's say you go to Berlin or any of the big cities, you can kind of talk to people your own age in English and they would be yeah, able to reply back yeah, to I you agree. in well, most places. But in Russia, that's not the case. That I agree with you. Also because I... I told you uh, at school I learned German, uh, but then there's no incentive. I I uh, then every time I spoke with German, they had a much better level of English exactly. than I. So <laughs> uh, there was really no incentive. No, no, no. You, I uh, <laughs> yes, but in in Russia, yes, you really need to learn to know the language too if you want to to communicate. Exactly, <laughs> even like even the basic things. Yeah. Y- you need to know Russian. But also, like, French is also an interesting case because the French are very proud of oh, their yeah. language. So even if they speak English, they prefer to, to, speak, in to speak in French, even if you do not speak it perfectly, mm-hmm. but they, they're really proud of their language. Mm. And, uh, so uh, it's much easier to practice French yeah. than uh, other la- languages. <laughs> like German. The German yeah. is the biggest case for me because all my friends from Germany, they speak very good English. Yes, and they're yeah. like, if you come to Germany, you can like speak English and do yes, pretty much anything. You don't with, actually even need Even with to. old people. They, yeah. yeah. Even like, yeah. That's quite, that's quite true. So let's talk about you. Where are you from in Italy? I come from a, a town called Siena, mm-hmm. which is located in the center of Italy, region of Tuscany. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about 250 kilometers from Rome and 60 kilometers from Florence. Ah, okay. So you are from, let's say, the heart of the Italian Renaissance, in a way, Florence. And what part of Italy from which standard Italian is based off, right? It's made of the Tuscany dialect, Ah, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's um, the modern Italian language. Okay, the Italian language uh, is uh, considered uh, as... Yes, is there because the many Italian poets like Dante, Dante Boccaccio, uh, Petrarch uh, were from uh, Tuscany, uh-huh. uh, so they uh, their let's say way of speaking in Italian was uh, taken as a model. The model uh, <laughs> it was a, like a inspiration for uh, all the others uh, uh, after them. So okay. it became like the the model of of, of Italian language. Yes. Okay. So does that mean that you know a dialect other than the standard Italian to with which you speak to your family or your close friends from your hometown? Do you have like a different dialect too? Uh, 
I, I think I have I can speak with the accent from Tuscany. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't speak dialect. Mm-hmm. At home we speak uh, with my family we speak uh, like standard Italian. Okay. Uh, my grandparents uh, uh, they spoke in dialect. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but you know this is um, something that in Italy is kind of um, uh, dialects are. Uh, um, um, there is this trend that in some areas where we are losing dialects okay. because uh, uh, people uh, if they when they watch TV they they, they listen their standard Italian mm-hmm. so in some cases uh, there is a kind of uh, there is tendency to to lose the the dialect and I think it's a it's a pity because they're very nice beautiful and uh, it's, it's very nice to hear different way of speaking Italian uh, but can you understand all the different ways? I, I, cannot, the I, I cannot understand all dialects. I can understand all um, uh, dialects uh, in uh, like uh, center Italy. Mm-hmm. They are uh, closer to the to the Tuscan dialect. Uh, in southern Italy, there are uh, dialects are very difficult to understand. There are some words that are kind of famous because uh, in uh, they also in, in uh, Italian TV they make jokes. Okay, so on that particular dialect. But if they start to speak in a very, like, uh, uh, in strict Strong dialect, dialect. It's, uh, it's impossible to understand. Wow. And also in northern Italy there are some dialects are kind of. We, in Italy, we, we, when Italy is like a young state, it was. Um, uh, it reached the unity in the. Uh, 1860s, mm-hmm. uh, much later than uh, other European countries, exactly. compared with Spain, with uh, France, France, Germany. So it's a young state, and the beginning in the Italian Parliament, they could not understand each other. Oh, and uh, so this is a joke that so, so Ita- they, they could they had to speak in uh, French to <laughs> really uh, in French. Yes, of French it was considered also in in in, Ru- in Russia was the language yeah, the international of the arist- aristocracy. So uh, it took some times to I think TV played uh, in Italy a very important uh, uh, role to create a, uh, an uh, Italian language a standardized version yes, of it. Yes, yes, wow. yes. So no, there's this joke that Italians use their hands and gesticulate a lot of gestures because people from two different um, parts of Italy mm-hmm. won't be able to understand each other completely without using those hand signals. Is that a part of... Is, do you consider that also to be part of the Italian language, where the gesticulation yes, that yes, people sure, use? Yes, sure, sure. Uh, and does that also have a regional dialect of gesticulations? Let's say but something means this in particular Tuscany. And the same hand no, just no, to me. No, this is a kind of, of standard. We, okay. we understand, uh, I think. Uh, may, maybe in some uh, um, southern Italy, maybe they have a more, uh, they're richer in plan, in, in the numbers of gest- gestures, uh-huh. but uh, they are standards, we understand. Really? Yes, oh, yes, could you show yes. me some gesticulations? Something, what does those mean? <laughs> no, what does no, this mean? <laughs> What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it's like holding your hand like an onion. Like, what do yes, you want? Yes, yes. So, but if it's nice, if you, you, you when you watch a football match, exactly. You, 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 uh, a few, few, no, a few days ago, this Italian player Barella uh-huh. uh, asked the referee. Yes, to, to the referee, did like this because he, did, he didn't agree with, yeah. the, with the decision of the with with the 
of the referee. Yeah. So I think they made a lot of jokes in the, in the, it, it, in it. the internet. It's yeah. like a video of Marco Verratti when he played for PSG. He was like so aggressive, yeah. aggressively doing with his hands. And he was like, whoa, what does it mean? Yes, what what else is like a famous hand gesture? Mm, it's like, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> there are a lot. Uh, like, <laughs> they, they come natural in a natural way. Yes, it, yes, yes, but yes. you're not using it right now. <laughs> oh, okay, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like you trained yourself not to use it while speaking English, right? But if, yes. if, you, if you speak to on the Italian, yes. would you guys like, um, like subconsciously it, just comes it out? It comes naturally. You, wow. you didn't, didn't realize this. Uh, oh. Yes, yes, yes. And do you guys find it strange when people don't use it? No, no. It's, uh, it's, ju- it's just a way. <laughs> it's just a way to, to wow. speak. Wow, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the different how those different um, dialects of Italian language are actually mm-hmm. there so let's go all the way back yes, yes, to yes. the history of Italy so the Italian peninsula was first inhabited by how to say proto-Europeans mm-hmm. and then the Europeans came with the um, uh, Indo-European language, mm-hmm. Indo-European culture, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And the Latins mm-hmm. were a particular tribe who used to live there. And from there came the major city of Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm correct so far? Yes, yes. It's, uh, you know, Italy is in the middle uh, or it's well, well, it's a very interesting position in the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. So uh, it's a mix of, of cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, from north, they were uh, influenced from the Celtic, Celtic mm-hmm. uh, cultures. So it was from the uh, central northern European influence. Right. Uh, then uh, we also there, there was a big migration from Greece. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually, the southern part of Italy was called Magna Grecia, so big Greece. There were a lot of colonies from uh, oh. from Greece and uh, so the Greek uh, influence were, was very strong and right. also from the Middle East uh, where the, we experienced a lot of migra- migration actually especially I don't know if um, uh, I come from Tuscany the the um, people that inhabited ta- the, uh, the region of uh, that is now Tuscany was uh, the um, they were the Etrusk and uh, their Etrus? uh, yes Etruski uh, uh, I don't know in English how it is. Uh, I think it's a Etrusk. Uh, it's, it's a tribe. It's the name of a tribe. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, they, um, uh, uh, and it's still a mystery what is uh, their their language and their origin. Mm. Many says that they come from the from um, uh, the region in uh, like a Middle East region. Oh, okay. Uh, so the language is. Uh, it goes. It predates Indo-European languages. Yes, yes, oh, yes. okay. So it's just to say this is a result of migrations. There are a lot of of migration. Italy is a result of that. Yeah, and and, uh, and it's like perfectly located in the Mediterranean, and the Mediterranean uh, area is like was one of the hotbeds of civilization from yes. the Fertile Crescent, North Africa, mm-hmm. Greece. Mm-hmm. So Italy obviously becomes a good candidate. Yeah. To yes. Be. Yes. Yes. It's. Um, and then uh, I told you that Italy uh, reached the political unity quite late. Quite late, yeah. But uh, I think it's an interesting case because from a cultural point of view, Italy uh, it already existed much, much before. Yeah. If you think about Renaissance, uh, Italy was before, uh, split in many small uh, 
countries, more, more, but city states, city states. But uh, we already had a kind of um, kind of language. Of course, there were different uh, uh, dialects, but there was an idea uh, of uh, uh, I think of Italy. Uh, what does it mean, Italy? Is it in the name or does it have a meaning? I think it meaning? comes from the name of one of the um, uh, tribes uh, that inhabited ah, Italy okay. in the pre-Roman Roman period. Okay. So, uh, yes, this is... Uh, so how did the Romans come about? The, the, I know the, like, the one, legend. One of the... Okay, okay the, the, the legend, uh, uh, yes, it's... Uh, it's like there were two brothers, Romulus and Remus. Yes, yes. And I... Uh, they were, um, you, you tell me, I, I just know the wolf they, thing. They, they, they argued, okay, they were, uh, they, they, they were building the city, okay, they, they were, they, when they were funding the, the city, they kind of uh, argued, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, Romulus uh, killed, Remus. Uh, yes, and uh, after that he, he founded the, the, the city, yeah. so it was like an, a kind of result of, uh, a conflict between brothers, but uh, be be previous to that, uh, um, uh, yeah, they were saved by uh, a wolf. A wolf, yes, she wolf. because they wanted to kill them. Uh, uh, I think it was a kind of a ruler uh -huh. of the um, area that <laughs> where it was where uh, later on where was founded uh, the city of, of Rome. Rome. They um, re received from this. Uh, uh, can, what's the name? Oraculus, I don't know, from Oracle, uh, Oracle, Oracle yeah. that uh, he would have been uh, uh, defeated uh, by the kids of, uh, of, uh, of a young lady. Ah. So he tried to kill them, but she managed to put them in, um, in the river, in the Tiber uh -huh. River, uh -huh. they, in the kind of small boat. boat okay. The boat was uh, reached by this uh, wolf. And uh, she raised, the, she saved, uh, she rescued, she saved and uh, raised these, these two kids yeah. and become uh, Romulus and, and Rem. Rim. And then uh, they uh, revenged, okay, they killed, <laughs> they, okay, they maintained what was uh, seen by the Oraculus. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, unfortunately, they argued and uh, only uh, Romul, uh, um, so Romul was <laughs> one, and he yes, killed his brother Remus. Yes, yes. The interesting thing is, if you're a football fan and if you check the logo of yeah. S Roma, yeah. you can actually see the wolf and two babies suckling yes, it. Yes. That is the legend of yes, Romus and Remus. But yes, and actually, uh, my city Siena is also related with that, because uh, uh, the legend says that Siena is uh, city daughter of Rome because uh, uh, Rem, uh, Remus had uh, kids uh -huh. and when his, uh, the, his father was killed by um, uh, Romulus they escaped uh -huh. and they founded the city of uh, one of them was called Senius he founded the city of, uh, of Siena oh. so the, also the symbol of the city of Siena is the same of Rome really? no, not because uh, because the, the, uh, the legend are the, of the, is interconnected oh okay yeah. and you know what I find interesting in Latin, so mm -hmm. the thing is, Rome is named after Romulus, mm -hmm, yes. and Rimulus is the person who died. Yeah. In Lat, I mean, in Latin language, it's called mm -hmm. Rome, mm -hmm. but in Russian, it's called Rim. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? 
Yes, uh, yes, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but so the Russian decided to name it after him. Yes. I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm, it, I'm ah, just. Re, ah, yes. It's, uh, it's, I, ne- I never it, it talked might, about that. It, it might not be a correlation, but I just noticed that. Like the Russians call it Rim, not Rome. Mm-hmm. I mean the Slavics, sorry, not mm-hmm. Russians. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So for, and then from there became the Russian Kingdom. I'm sorry, Roman Kingdom. Yes, there was first a kingdom with the, there were seven kings of mm-hmm. Rome. Um, and then uh, the republic yeah the republic and then uh, after that uh, empire empire yes and the roman republic is like considered to be a very important um, moment in western civilization the same way like the Athens was a republic yeah where it's a republic in the sense it was like an oligarchy where the ruling families made all the major administrative decisions rather than one monarch was appointed by holy divine right or something like that. Yeah. That's considered important in all of Western civilization. And that lasted for a few centuries? How long was that? I, um, yes, it's, uh, it was quite a, a long period uh, until well, um, Julius Caesar started yeah. to kind of... Um, Consolidate power. He, he, okay, it was... Uh, Thanks to his successes in uh, in gold, yeah, in gold, uh, in Britain, uh, Anglia, uh-huh. uh, he, he became more and more powerful, powerful. Uh, and so it, from that po- point, I think it started to to, to change the, a little bit the political system in Italy, in uh, in uh, in Rome. So from but that at that point was the modern, let's say, you told, even though Italy is like is a relatively young nation there was something like an Italian identity between all these I people I don't think the, it was it was still too early to speak too about, early to speak about that, yeah. that the, the, the conception in that period was uh, Rome and the, the like uh, uh, Italian uh, tribes uh-huh. and uh, add, uh, and the rest so the, 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 the different uh, all the citizens in the Roman Empire have can, can some kind of sta, sta, different uh, status and the, those the cities the, the citizens of Rome had um, a privileged uh, um, status right uh, and they benefit of uh, I think all would, all they could benefit at that time and the citizens of Rome does that mean people living in the city of Rome or the entire territory of the Roman Republic how would the definition of a citizen be um, I don't uh, I'm not an expert in in, in this uh, mm-hmm. um, but if if I'm not mistaken uh, the all the Italian peninsula was considered mm. had a kind of uh, 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 privileged uh, positions also because it was like the the core of the uh, of the of the empire right. and of course uh, uh, rome was uh, even the the f- f- focal point of that exactly so uh, yeah and the caesar coming i'm sorry uh, yeah during caesar coming mm-hmm. it becomes empire and it's expansionist and i think rome goes into north africa to Britannia mm-hmm. and most of Western Europe, yeah. and this is like the one of the how to say the, the zenith, the highest point of the Roman Empire. And uh, how do you think like that point is like one of the points where Ital, let's say Roman influence and Italian influence in a sense was it at its highest in the world? Yes, of course, sure. From the uh, let's say from uh, 
territorial point of view, political point of view, yes, because um, after that uh, Italy never reached uh, such a position in, uh, uh, at international level. Uh, there was an attempt with uh, during the uh, fascism Mussolini of uh, establishing mm -hmm. a kind of uh, empire, right. new Roman empire, but it was uh, completely um, not comparable because the, uh, the the idea of Mussolini was to uh, have a kind of uh, empire uh, comparable with other European superpowers. A colonial empire. But, but it was uh, something very, very far from that. Right. Uh, but um, uh, yes, from the um, uh, political point of view, it was the uh, highest point. But I think uh, in, during the history, Italy also managed other times to, to reach very high points. Uh, if you think about Renaissance, yeah, 16th from the cultural century. point of view, I think it, uh, everything, ev all... Um, in Europe, uh, uh, all uh, were looking at Italy as a model. Exactly. So it was not the strongest from the political point of view, from the military point of view. Yeah. Actually, it was very weak because... Uh, um, it was all small states. Uh, yes, uh, stronger states like France or, or uh, Spain. Uh, for them, it was very quite always quite easy to... Um, occupy yeah. territories, territories of Italy because we were always all the times in conflict with each other. With each other, so it was very easy to to uh, conquer them. Uh, the um, Italian, no, okay, it's the Florentinian, uh, uh, okay, historian and uh, also uh, uh, one of the it's considered one, one main theorist in. Uh, in Politics, Niccolò Machiavelli, mm -hmm. in, in his books, uh, in his book, uh, The Prince, it, it tried to uh, theorize uh, a way to, uh, or uh, an, an, an idea of a prince that could, yeah. could save Italy, could join, could help in uh, uh, joining all these small countries uh, and creating a, a stronger, stronger state that could face, and. Um, so in the Renaissance, I think Italy uh, was uh, after the uh, collapse of the Roman Empire. It was a very another a kind of a new way to become at the center of the international stage. And I think also after the Second World War, uh, it was called the economic miracle, miracle of yeah. Italy. In the in the sixties, the Italian economy was really running very 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 fast. So mm. uh, it was the period when. Uh, uh, in all the 60s, 70s... Industrialization kind of Yes, beat. so the, I think it's well known, made in Italy, so it was a result of the... Um, also this uh, way of the Italian of being able to produce something good that could be also uh, appre be appreciated in, a, in a, other in countries and other markets. Yes. Mm, interesting. So let's go back to Rome and the Roman height of Roman power, mm -hmm. and eventually mm -hmm. it does reach. It, that's the you know a successful empire is one that keeps on expanding, mm -hmm. but at one point the expansion stops and the decline begins. And Rome's decline started with like um, these tribes who were living in the periphery in the northern side of Europe starting to attack it. Yeah. And at one point, Rome, the Roman Empire, 
which stretched from Britannia, England to how far? Mm, Greece, a little bit even after that, yeah, yeah, in the parts yeah. of Turkey, yes. kind of split into two of yes, the uh, Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. And the Eastern Roman Empire's capital being Byzantia, mm-hmm. which later became known as Constantinople yes. and which is now known as Istanbul. And the Western part, which is Rome. Mm-hmm. And actually, Rome actually fell to the barbarians mm-hmm. or the Goth- Gothic tribes. Yes, yes, there were a lot of tribes inv- invaded and. Uh, uh, destroyed the city, took the yes, the <laughs> yeah, the, and but still that Italian Roman cultural aspect was still kept there. It did not kind of even though some aspects from Western Europe did come into the peninsula, it didn't become like a German or a different Germanic. I mean, a cultural entity. What 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 would you attribute that? Do you do you attribute that like only a small amount of time relatively was under this gothic thing or would you say there's something else which has been ingrained being part of that roman empire for so long that the people there kind of kept that what what would you i think because the the roman empire really lasted a lot of centuries yeah so uh, of course the it had a big influence from a, a cultural point of view a linguistic point of view if, if you think about the languages the neo latin languages you already have some you um, really already started to shape europe mm. because uh, in italy we have although there are different dialects uh, do we, we could identify uh, some a group of languages close to this the italian modern uh, to the Italian roots in France it was the same Spain the same Portugal is another way so uh, of course this uh, uh, even if uh, once that the Roman Empire collapsed uh, or the, all the centuries when it lived already created the basis of what uh, for the future mm. so uh, what would have been many centuries after Italy right so do you think the Roman Empire is the main reason why Romance languages are so prevalent on, in Western Europe and they were able to spread into all these countries you just listed earlier. That Roman territorial expansion kind of spread this Latinized version which morphed into these different languages. Yes, sure. In the, in the, in the areas where, uh, that were uh, controlled by uh, Roman Empire in several regions, uh, yes, of course, the, the languages uh, have a direct uh, link with the with the Latin language. Of course, not not everywhere. In um, in the eastern part, uh, mm. it was mostly Greek. Greek. The most, yeah. most uh, uh, in the Balkan area, um, cannot ident- cannot say that uh, the Roman Empire had a big influence from the exactly. linguistic point of view. And also after the collapse of Roman Empire. Um, uh, Recent, the city-state of Venice uh, had a strong, strong influence uh, on many uh, parts of the, um, like, uh, uh, what is now Croatia or, uh, mm-hmm. or the, this, the coast, the Dalmatian coast. Dalmatian coast. But uh, from a linguistic point of view, they have their own uh, history, identity, and, uh, which is um, not a Latin, um, uh, like, uh, culture, not a Latin uh, Romance language, right? The only uh, part in uh, Eastern Europe 
where Rome had the... Romania? The Roma is the Rom Romanian. Romanian, right? Yes. I, I heard it's like quite s similar to Italian. Yes, it's very similar. And like Moldo Moldova? Yes, they're similar. Very similar. Moldova was like part of the Soviet bloc. Yeah. But like their language is almost the same as Romanian. Yeah. But it's like this is written in Moldovan written in Cyrillic script and Romanian written in Latin ah, script. Okay, yeah. That's like the only major difference between yes, both. Yes, 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 it's correct. It's quite interesting. So and the Roman Empire collapses, mm -hmm. but Byzantia takes mm -hmm. up the mantle as the second Rome, becomes the let's say the center of whole of Western classical civilization. Yes. And that lasts for another thousand years until it collapses when the Ottoman Turks invaded in, I think, 1472. Mm -hmm. And then it's called like the Dark Ages of Europe. Yeah. For a few years where, I would say, progress and the Black Plague came mm -hmm. and everything was in decline mm -hmm. until the Renaissance happened. Why do you think Renaissance happened in Italy and not any other country in Europe? What mm. makes Italy a good fertile ground for new ideas on science, culture, art, literature to happen in Italy and not somewhere else. What do you think, sir? I think uh, even if uh, um, they call, uh, uh, after the collapse of Roman Empire, of course, or, already Italy experienced a dark uh, period uh, immediately uh, after. It was a period of uh, big, big uh, uh, changes. But uh, the reality, but I think the, the, in the Italian peninsula was continue to be very dynamic. Uh, although uh, there were uh, like new political entities, these small uh, states, uh, uh, city-states, uh, they all of them, they already, they immediately started to think about new um, political way to, to rule the city, new ways of uh, like, uh, they were called the republics, but in the, in they were a kind of uh, oligarch systems. Mm -hmm. And then also from the economic point of view, they were immediately starting to uh, to start again from what after the collapse of the Roman Empire. So mm. uh, they um, uh, uh, insisted a lot on what was uh, uh, trade uh, also from um, uh, from the point of view of the uh, ba banking system. All mm. the, the, the word bank is uh, from, an, an, the, the, from an Italian language and also many terms used in, the, um, in, in banks are comes from, from, from Italian. For example? No, I don't know. The word banca is... Uh, Italian. Yes. Uh -huh. it's, uh, um, Czech? Uh, there are... There are uh, now I, I, don't, uh, I don't have um, uh, the, the full list, but okay. uh, this, is, this is something... Uh, and uh, I think like the Medici dynasty were the first to set up banks yes, in yes, Florence. Uh, the idea of they, banking. They, they borrowed, uh, because they were very powerful, these families, mm -hmm. and they uh, borrow money to... Uh, European monarchies to the king of France, uh, right. <laughs> so they were very, very powerful. Uh, they were made uh, like um, their strength thanks to uh, the way of managing uh, money, but also in trade. So, what I want to say is, is that uh, the, 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 it was a very dynamic uh, uh, environment, and this, of course, uh, uh, when you have this, uh, this kind of uh, uh, mixtures of uh, um, sense of uh, um, to, um, in, in entrepreneurial sense, right. way of, of changing, improving 
uh, then this has also impact also in other spheres of uh, of, of life, including uh, cultures. Uh-huh. So they, um, I think this is one of the reason why in uh, in Italy we had this um, kind of uh, the, the Renaissance started. Mm. So. What was the situation with regard to trade at that point of time? Because mm-hmm. almost, it's almost around the time of Renaissance where the age of exploration started mm-hmm. and Italians were the major explorers who were trying to find out different places. My favorite Italian explorers are, <laughs> it's like I'm saying my favorite footballers are Marco Polo, yes. uh, Christopher Columbus, <laughs> uh, Amerigo Vespucci, mm-hmm. And uh, who else? Yeah, these are like three really important people. And Marco Polo's journey to through the uh, carnates of Central Asia to China and through the um, Indian, uh, the China, South China Sea to mm-hmm. India mm-hmm. and all the way back through Persia to Europe mm-hmm. is, I think, a really monumental moment in the in how Western civilization was exposed to East and how aspects of the West was exposed to the East yeah. too. So it was an Italian explorer who did that. Yes. Like, like you told about the entrepreneurship trade mm-hmm. aspects of it. Do you think like being in that heart of the Mediterranean kind of played to Italy's advantage as being the major uh, trading, not a class, like a major trading power in that region? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, we can think that uh, uh, in Italy, in, the, in this period after the collapse of some, a few centuries later, later after, collapse. after the collapse of Roman Empire, there were uh, some important. Uh, there were five uh, city states that were uh, located in the uh, close. Uh, they had a port, mm-hmm. so for them, uh, the, the sea was. Uh, uh, the main re- resource for them economic development were Venice, uh, it was uh, Genova, Genoa, uh, Amalfi, uh, Pisa in, uh, in Tuscany. So they were like uh, city states that uh, were uh, um, thanks to the to the sea, thank, thanks to the trade, thanks to the exchanges, uh, uh, they managed to. Uh, to create uh, an economic power, but also, uh, of course, when there is uh, money, you can also embellish the cities, uh, mm-hmm. b- build uh, beautiful monuments. And uh, pay uh, artists, pay, pay artists. Leonardo da Vinci. So everything, it's really, it, it was a, a very um, uh, positive, it's, uh, uh, everything is in, was interconnected. And of course, it, it, it helped to the, to the country to, uh, uh, to develop, to go, to go further. So, would this be the foundations of capitalism? What Italian merchants were doing at this point, where there's trade and the institutional banking came, and there were these oligarchical cities which were the center of power and not a feudal. Mo- it was kind of. It's, I think I can call it like a fusion of feudalism and capitalism but moving more towards capitalism as time goes on would would it be fair to say italy was kind of like the first experiment in capitalism uh, surely it was uh, an important step because uh, the, the of course the 
the, 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 the way to the industrial revolution was still long, mm -hmm. but it was uh, definitely, uh, I think, an, an important uh, step uh, because it created some kind of basis. Without that, it would not be impossible right. to, uh, to have an idea of what it, oh, why we need the capital, why we need uh, also the relationship between the owner and the, and the workers right. and um, the production, everything is uh, highly interconnected. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it, I think it's, it's, it's an important, crucial step. In, <laughs> in the development of uh, modernity, yeah. which would soon come after like the discovery of the new world. But the interesting thing about the discovery of the new world is even though the explorers, both uh, Christopher Columbus who discovered North America and Amerigo Vespucci who discovered South America, even though both were Italian, they actually worked or flew, I mean, uh, sailed under the flags of Portugal and Spain, not Italy. Because yeah. in Italy <laughs> as a concept didn't exist at that point of time. It was Italy six. was... Uh, a weak uh, political uh, and military mm. uh, reality in that period. Right. So the, if, until uh, the dis before the discovery of the uh, 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 America, okay, but it already it was already discovered. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, we, 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 in books it's written the discovery of America. Uh, By Columbus. The the, 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 the the center of trade, it was uh, the Mediterranean with uh, it, it was the way. The Silk Way Silk. Uh, that uh, was exp explored uh, started with okay with Marco Polo as you said it was it was this this uh, this line of mm -hmm. trade from the Mediterranean to far far east was the main way yeah. so Italy was at the center of the Mediterranean so it's a very important role so cities like uh, the the one that I mentioned uh, Venice especially Venice was. Uh, uh, really uh, at the center of mm. uh, of this uh, uh, of this process also um, cities in northern europe like in, in belgium in in the netherlands were very also were part of this mm. uh, with the discovery of the america everything moved uh, westward to the Atlantic side. Yes, so of course, cities, uh, countries like Spain and Portugal, uh, for a ge geographical point of view, and later on also Britain, because uh, it was very in a very well good, well positioned, Efficient. because for the the new uh, routes of uh, uh, economic route, uh, routes, uh, uh, trade routes uh, were moved uh, immediate uh, a lot from. Uh, the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. Right. So um, I think that was it started the, the decline of Italy. The second decline. First decline we could call the Roman Empire's collapse. Yeah. This was like when the New World was discovered. The Mediterranean kind of lost its key position as the center of world trade, and that kind of negatively affected all the city states in Italy. Yes, yes, yes. It was uh, this was the the decline of Italy, from um, also from. Um, uh, from the um, artistic point of view, of course, uh, I think uh, in the 17th uh, centuries uh, uh, we still have uh, very beautiful things of, of Italy, uh, but uh, the the things were were changing. The the um, uh, balance between European countries w w was mm -hmm. changing. So. Uh, 
those countries that already had a political unity and they have they took advantage of the new right. trade routes, uh, of course, uh, uh, obtain a big advantage of, of, of that. And that's why, for instance, France became the lang- international language. It was mm. not Latin anymore. Right. Uh, in the diploma- diplomacy, the French was used. The aristocracy uh, used French uh, in all major European so countries. So from a cultural point of view, from a political point of view, uh, the center was not Italy anymore. Mm. Uh, even the Pope in, in, in Rome, of course, was a very influential um, uh, uh, position, uh, but uh, it was kind of losing his uh, authority. Right. Uh, yes, com- compared with the previous centuries. Mm, that's that's quite interesting. But I want to like go back a little bit and talk about how Rome became the center of. Catholicism mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. because um, as far as I know like Christians were prosecuted by Romans mm-hmm. once upon a time and then there was this huge shift where it became the state religion and that soon became something as like Rome became like the center for the entire Catholic Christian world and I think Catholicism is the highest amount of uh, Christians right as a group I don't know if it's uh, maybe it's the most uh, uh, widespread. Widespread, okay. <laughs> maybe I think yes. Okay. Uh, because if you consider Latin America, yeah. uh, yes, I think it's the most widespread. So how did that happen? How was Christianity a theological concept from the Middle East in current day, uh, Bethlehem, Judea, all that part? Which is like a provincial part of the former Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. How did that became the central religion and kind of like the theological basis of whole of Western civilization? Um, good question. Uh, yes, it's true. It's indeed it's true that uh, from became persecuted and then became the kind of state. Uh, um, I think that uh, the uh, Christi- Christianity. It's uh, it's a way. It was a way that could uh, legitimate the the power of uh, of uh, I don't know a king or mm-hmm. uh, an emperor because the idea that they started is that uh, I received this from God right. and then you could justify. You say why I'm ruling? I'm ruling because God. Uh, w- Divine rights. So it's. Uh, I think the, uh, they find immediately. No, quite soon they tried. To, they started to to find a, a way to uh, to use also the re- religion as a way to to rule a state to exactly. rule to uh, to give a political order. Yeah. Uh, and this political order lasted for for centuries, because uh, it gave. It was the uh, all the Europe uh, even though. If there were different uh, states uh, or city-states, the idea for centuries in Europe was based on two main authorities, the emperor and the pope. Uh, So the Christianity was really uh, really a way to to manage, to to give the political order of Europe. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, would you know how it came to Rome from Judea? 
Like how was like, as far as I know, I think Constantine was the first person to like legalize Christianity and mm-hmm. soon after it kind of became a state religion. Yes, it was, after one battle, the Constantine got converted mm-hmm. and they said, uh, uh, well, now the, the Christian, Christian will be our, uh, Christianity will be our... The state uh, religion. Yes, yes, yes. It's kind of, if you, if you draw parallels with how Russian Christi- Orthodoxy mm-hmm. also came, mm-hmm. it was also like a tool to consolidate power when Vladimir Krasheny yeah. Rus were he decided to choose Orthodox Christianity from Constantinople and made told tomorrow everyone's going to be Christian, dip yeah, in the river, so. do baptism. Yeah, that's quite impo- in- interesting. But another interesting thing is that Christianity in India predates Christianity in Europe mm-hmm. by almost 250 years mm-hmm. because in my part of India called Kerala, mm-hmm. uh, as per the legend, Saint Thomas, who mm-hmm. was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, mm-hmm. came there and he started his um, missionary work there in 52 AD. Mm-hmm. And we, and the, a sect of Christians in Kerala called the Thomas Christians or Syrian Christians, mm-hmm. they can claim to have Christian heritage in India mm-hmm. even before the Christians in Centralized uh, I Europe. didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And the thing is, my city in India, is, it, it, it used to be called the Muziris in Latin, was actually an important trade point for the mm-hmm. Roman Empire. And we actually found um, coins mm-hmm. with the head of Justinian or Augustus ah, yes. in India. Because it's like, India is also kind of like Italy in a way, it's a peninsula mm-hmm. trotting out to the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. So all the trade from Malay and China had to pass mm-hmm. through this place. And all the trade from the East Africa, West Africa, East Africa, mm-hmm. and came through this place. And it's an like important junction for mm-hmm. trade. So that part of Roman and mm-hmm. Byzantine history is also yeah. quite important there. Mm-hmm. So that's the, how to say, how far the expanse of Roman influence was yeah. at its heyday. So how did the idea of a pope or a papal state come and why is that located in Rome? Why did Rome become that place? I think Rome because uh, it was the, from a political point of view, even though the, it was collapsing the, the Roman Empire, it was uh, the center, it was uh, the most important uh, city. So that was, uh, I think, the the right place to to uh, to establish also mm-hmm. um, the the place for uh, for a spiritual uh, authority like like the pope, like, like the rule rule the person that is uh, uh, guiding uh, all the Christians. Right. Yes. So. So. The idea of a pope, mm-hmm. what purpose does it serve other than theological? Mm-hmm. Because the pope does have a lot, had a lot of political influence on mm-hmm. Europe. So what was the concept of having a pope? Was it to unite different European emperors who were constantly in war with each other to be united under one theological idea? Or was it a parallel system, like a theocracy, where there is like a, a monarch mm-hmm. and a theologue, and both of them go parallel together? How would you describe the, the role <laughs> of a pope? If you, if you look at the, uh, uh, 
ecclesiastic uh, hierarchy. Uh, it's a pyramid. Uh, mm -hmm. So you have the Pope at the top, then uh, uh, there are uh, cardinals, bishops. Uh, so there is a really uh, a way to uh, um, organize uh, a, a system, an organization. Right. And this is part of uh, in, in many human uh, uh, structures, uh, even if you think about uh, a monarchy, you have the king, uh, then uh, you have uh, uh, aristocrats, or right. uh, in the feudal system, there is a very clear pyramid, pyramidal structure. Okay. Uh, so th th this is what this was the way to, um, especially, it was I think the, the easiest to to manage an organization. Uh, having this kind of structure, having, having a, a pope like a reference, uh -huh. because you, you can, uh, when you read uh, also the Bible or you read some texts, you can give uh, a lot of uh, explanations. And, uh, yeah. and this is, uh, it can be potentially dangerous, uh, because if everybody starts to give an a different idea of that, uh, then uh, you don't you don't have a like a uni united system right. i think uh, having these structures having uh, um, somebody that is uh, uh, ruling this uh, in the position of uh, like pope that is considered the, the direct channel within with between uh, uh, a li a li a world where we are living and god mm -hmm. it, it is a way to um, uh, escape from all the possible misunderstandings mm. and that that's also why then um, uh, christianity okay uh, they fight a lot with uh, all the that uh, uh, ideas that they were like a de de deviating from uh, yeah, uh, like the, the Luther yes 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 and the protestant so movement they really fight a lot to avoid that there were a different interpretation of uh, mm, of, of, of how they were trying to um, interpreting the Bible and right. uh, uh, what is was written in the holy uh, texts. What about politically? Politically, how does a pope help a ruler consolidate more power? Or uh, uh, um, religion and politics are still always very, very, very close. If we think also about, uh, let's think about Mussolini in Italy. There was a period when it was uh, against uh, the Pope, uh, was very, but then it was one of that, uh, when he understood that he could uh, um, help to strengthen its power, it completely changed his position mm. and then become one of, <coughs> uh, of the strongest uh, allies of, of the uh, church. Yes, mm. so depending on the, on the also the, the, the situation, uh, religion can play uh, an important role to consolidate uh, the, the political power to have uh, like uh, some kind of uh, legitimation of, uh, of your of your uh, power I think Charlemagne would be the best example for that right yeah because he was uh, king of France or the France yes, and uh, he kind of formed the Holy Roman Empire yes yes and then uh, yes of course in, uh, to be uh, he received that from the Pope, so oh, it was yeah. he got the legitimation from the exactly. Pope of Rome. Yes, but like I like this Voltaire quote, which said, "The Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire, mm -hmm. because the Holy Roman Empire was not actually based in Rome. It was based yes, in yeah. France. Yes, yes, and yes. it wasn't Roman, and it yeah. wasn't empire. Wouldn't be like an empire how the Roman was. It's just kind of like 
using the term how do you say using the legacy of Rome for their own particular yeah. needs kind of the same way how Byzantia said we are the second Rome and uh, I in my podfark we were told that once Byzantia fell the Rus kind of proclaimed the title of Rome and Moscow would third be the Rome. third Rome yes, yeah yes, yes. it's like it's like each a uh, ruler wanting to carry on that legacy of cultural heritage for themselves yes as to legitimize themselves exactly which yes. is quite interesting mm so we the renaissance happened the renaissance mm-hmm. and again there's a decline of italy because mm-hmm. the trade goes off so at this time almost all european powers were colonizing mm-hmm but italy even though it had a really developed structure of naval navigation mm-hmm. trade routes italy knew italy had more interaction with all the traders from the mm-hmm. arab world east africa india mm-hmm. was still not able to colonize any part of the world at that particular point of time what would you attribute that to what makes italian colon it, italian colonization at I, that point i think it, italy uh, after the discovery of america lost its um, power because uh, the all the money all the wealth uh, moved uh, from the mediterranean to the atlantic so uh, from an economic point of view it was uh, a big loss for uh, for the italian uh, um, economic system uh, so this is one reason the second is that, is that italy was not um, a country was uh, uh, a lot of different micro micro states mm-hmm. uh, southern of italy was uh, completely uh, it was uh, periodically under the french or uh, the spanish uh, the spanish uh, uh, power center of italy was mostly like ruled by the uh, pop state and uh, center and north italy was uh, really a uh, group of micro states the strongest probably was venice uh-huh. also florence uh, tuscany has a, has a was close but uh, were all strong at regional level they could not compete at um, international level mm. and um, that's why machiavelli saying was saying that italy to uh, to compete should have uh, it was important to have uh, like uh, it was important to have a prince that would have uh, gathered conquered all the, the micro states yeah. and creating a, a political strong political entity that would have competed with uh, but also germany it was another example germany like italy was a, a group okay it was the uh, ad, for many centuries was the, there was uh, the the emperor of the holy roman empire was mm. based but it was a group of micro, micro states yeah. it germany like italy reached late its uh, political Un- unification unity, unification from a, a cultural point of view like in italy uh, already i think uh, already existed uh, germany uh, but from a political point of view started started quite late mm. in comparison with uh, other european countries and hence like couldn't compete with the other european countries even if they want to colonize but maybe also a geographical point of view it also had as uh, its own influence because uh, the, the the first wave of colonization was in in america 
and uh, countries uh, like uh, uh, Portugal, uh, Spain, Britain, uh, France. Yes, they, for them it was much faster. They, they were better connections. Uh, at the time there was not uh, like plane, so it was the difference was one hour. It could be days, and mm. day, days uh, could mean a lot in uh, expenses. Uh, but also, I don't know. It's uh, the the, um, uh, the, the route from I don't know Spain to I don't know Mexico. Uh, it was it is much much shorter than mm. Venice, uh, Mexico. Yeah. And when you have a boat, a sailing boat, uh, the difference can be one month. And right. then I think it's. Uh, uh, and then Venice could not compete with a, with a country like, like yeah. Spain. So really was really unbalanced. It was not possible to compete with, uh, for different reasons. Right. So Italy has not uh, the, um, the weapons or the, the means to, to be able to, to do what uh, other European countries did. Right. That's interesting. And when you talk about the Renaissance, there is this, the whole concept of classicism is like a revival of Greek and Roman ideas, mm -hmm. correct? And why do you, and I learned that once Constantinople fell, mm -hmm. a lot of skilled people with a lot of literature came from Constantinople back to Rome. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of what started off, not, mm -hmm. not the exclusive event, but one event which did start this sense of classicism in mm -hmm. almost everything where we started, to, we as in the Western civilization started to go look into the past for ideas. Mm -hmm. And that kind of reflects in modern uh, architecture, art, mm -hmm. and even literature. Literature, I'm not very sure, mm -hmm. of Italy and the papal mm -hmm. states and everything. Why do you think this going back to an identity of the past of the great Roman and the great uh, Greek cultures is was an important part for Western civilization, not just Italy, but for mm -hmm. a lot of Western civilizations in terms of their culture. Why is that looking back at the history of these great empires an important aspect? Well, after the collapse of uh, Roman Roman Empire, there was uh, all the knowledge uh, during the Greek Roman period uh, was kind of. Uh, uh, forgotten mm. or uh, kind of lost. Uh, it was only the monks in a monastery that tried to copy this, uh, to save this uh, this old old culture. But it was a kind of period of uh, when a lot of was uh, kind of uh, uh, stopped. So the way uh, and it was uh, really it was uh, important. Uh, um, all the knowledge that was elaborating you the, the Greek and the Roman period, uh, it is the basis of, of, of modern, modern culture. Let's think about law. The Roman law is the basis of the contemporary law of many um, uh, um, countries. Many countries. So it, it, it was really, uh, they already put the basis of, uh, of, of many things that uh, still exist now. Also, from uh, architectural point of view, uh, all, you know the Roman uh, 
uh, roads, the Roman architecture. There are some buildings that are, still, uh, still exist. So it's, it was really very well de developed, the, the system. In, um, uh, and all these books, all this knowledge uh, was kind of lost. So there was uh, um, the willingness to bring back uh, what was, uh, was lost uh, uh, explore it again and uh, adapt to the to the society of, of that time. So would that be accepting that society back then was more advanced in terms of ideas? No, maybe not technologically, but their ideas like democracy and voting, which were kind of you know antithetical to the monarchy but which was experimented in ancient Greece, in Athens and in the Roman Republic. I would not say that it was more developed, also because in the Middle Age there were uh, very, uh, there were very, very important achievements, also from the cultural point of view. If we think, in, in we look at the Italian uh, culture, uh, the main masterpiece of one, I think, yes, the main masterpiece that we had in the Middle Age was the Divine Comedy of uh, uh, Dante, Dante Alighieri. It is was written in uh, uh, also from the linguistic point of view. It's our basis, but it's really uh, it's a result of the uh, Middle Age, of course, with a strong influence from the ancient Greek, Greek uh, from the Roman period. But uh, this is a result of the uh, of Middle Age. So I think it's a kind of um, a stereotype to think that uh, all the things that were in the Roman period were uh, good and advanced and then uh, everything stopped for centuries during the Middle Age and in the, in the Renaissance everything started uh, uh, better and, and better. I think there is everything, is, it's interconnected. Um, but uh, uh, there was a, um, like a, the need to uh, learn more of a uh, part of uh, of the past that uh, during uh, that for many centuries was not accessible to everybody it was mm. uh, kind of forgotten so it um, it was uh, yes they, they wanted to to learn and uh, know more about that mm. interesting so let's go on the timeline so next i think the next major event is the unification of italy is there anything between the Renaissance and unification that we should talk about? Um, I, I, the, uh, okay, the Renaissance uh, would be in uh, like uh, 15th century, mm -hmm. we can say. Uh, then there is also the period from the Renaissance until the unification of Italy is characterized from a political, political point of view, the decline of uh, uh, culture and also politics in Italy and domination of uh, foreign powers. Uh, foreign powers. So mm -hmm. There was the domination from, uh, uh, from France, Spain, in southern Italy. Uh, also during the Napoleonic period, uh, of course, we were came under the influence of uh, Napoleon. Mm -hmm. uh, after the, in the Restoration, uh, there was Austria, uh, the Austrian Empire mm -hmm. uh, was another guest that we had <laughs> in Italy. So it's really um, yes, it's um, 
transitory mercurial time where there's a lot of uh, flux but happening. But of course this has a very bad influence especially from in southern Italy because uh, uh, all the, it was the southern Italy that was the most prosperous uh, uh, region uh, during the Roman period. If you think about the period before Roman period it was colonies from Greece mm. so it was really the most advanced part of, uh, mm. of the country uh, because um, uh, the Greek influence was very important. Right. Uh, so, if we, we look at the I- Italy at that period, we had the, the col- Greek colonies were more advanced, had more. Uh, um, the, the, the Greek influence was was crucial for them. Comparison in comparison with don- northern Italy, that were tribes from. Yeah. Uh, like what Romans called barbarians. Yes, bar- barbarians. Um, and uh, it was richer also from the point of view. Um, also from an economic point of view, also from an uh, agricultural point of view, because everything was easier to have uh, everything. The, the, the weather really mm. helped a lot that, that part. But uh, um, the many cent- after the collapse of the Roman period, the Roman Empire, it was uh, really uh, on a row, uh, there were um, occupation from... Uh, other uh, other countries and of course uh, the occupation they made their exclusively their own interests uh, this was very bad for um, southern, southern italy. italy and this uh, created a sense of uh, distrust for power uh, a new ruler always uh, created problems and they mm. would have uh, uh, taken all the it, it was really a rich rich uh, uh, part of the country uh, and this created a mistrust on pa- this was at the end I think the, the, the origin of what is now is called uh, mafia yeah uh, so it's from so you're talking about Sicily southern no, Italy all, all southern Italy there is like not, Sic- also the Tori- Torino no Torino is northern Italy but Naples N- uh, Neapolitan yes 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 uh-huh. so I think this um, uh, when Italy t- the un- unification of Italy was in uh, 1860 so when the uh, everything started from northern Italy from the uh, Lombardy Piedmont region Mm -hmm. uh, Turin yes and when the uh, Garibaldi and okay its it's army from northern Italy started uh, reached Sicily and southern Italy uh, they perceived them uh, at the beginning of course Maybe it was perceived as a way to, it could be a new opportunity, but then they, when they saw that they, they were ruling uh, uh, exactly as they did before, uh-huh. uh, French or Spanish, they, so they were exclusively doing their own interest, it was perceived by the people there as the new occupants. Mm. And uh, the reaction was to create uh, like some kind of ways of uh, own ruling system, banditism, uh, and created the, created the basis uh, for the mafia. Yes, yes, yes. Because the the state was perceived not as uh, ah. something that was uh, solving things to people, but was uh, creating more problems. Creating more problems. So this so would be the first time in the history in a long while where. Italians were ruling over Italians. Let's say, Ita- I know Italian yes. really hasn't been formed yet, but when the first time an Italian-speaking people 
were ruling over other Italian speaking people in the Italian peninsula. This would be the first time. Yes, I think. After the Romans. Yes, yes. And there weren't any foreign influences at this point of time. There was no France, there was no England. I'm sorry, uh, Spain. Yeah. So that was a start. But the king, king of Italy was. Uh, could speak better French than Italian because, oh. uh, because of the location of Piedmont it's uh, really close to France uh. Savoia region now is part of France uh, okay. it's in the modern maps it's not Italy anymore oh. so really the, the French influence were, was very very strong okay so in 1860 that was the first time in a long while where an Italian kingdom mm-hmm. ruled by Italians yes. was uh, ever formed and from there, was it like, um, I think the 1850s to the ni- 1800 to 1900 is the time where the idea of the nation state yes. actually started to f- form up in Europe, where people of a certain linguistic group or a certain ethnic group were supposed to be divided into one state and they would have self-rule. This uh, idea of nation-state started uh, immediately after the French Revolution. French Revolution, yeah. The uh, um, Romanticism, Mm -hmm. I think it's called this this period. And in Italy, Italy, they started to uh, Italy did not exist in that period as a, as a nation state, so the intellectuals started to um, to fight for uh, uh, the creation of uh, an Italian country. Right. So in that period started the also uh, the willingness to fight for uh, the unity of of Italy. So what was the foundation of that nationalism? What was bringing all these people together did you guys go back to your roman identity or did you guys say that all latin speaking people i mean yeah i mean italian speaking people should have a sovereign state of their own or was it geographically the italian peninsula should be one entity what was the foundation of italian nationalism during the unification during the unification, I think it happens what uh, some centuries before uh, theorized Machiavelli. So, uh, a prince. prince. Uh, so, the, the, the strongest uh, uh, prince uh, in the Italian peninsula, or the one that could uh, kind join all these uh, mi- the states, the uh, Italian states, was the Kingdom of uh, Sav- uh, Savoy mm-hmm. region, which is in, in, in France. It's a kingdom of Sardinia. It was the, 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 the but Sardinia is an island, right? Yes, because it was part of this part of northern Italy and Sardinia. Uh-huh. And then uh, from there, it started to, uh, with very clever and uh, geopolitical decisions, uh-huh. uh, by time to time, he managed, because it was not a strong um, state from the military point of view. Uh, other micro states in Europe were, were much stronger, mm. but all the times in a, in a clever way with a, with you, I repeat with good geopolitical solutions, they attacked uh, and uh, uh, and uh, expanded the, the territory mm. little by little, and then this was completed uh, when the with the first world war when Italy. After the completion of the of the First World War, uh, managed to obtain uh, more or less the territory of uh, of now of modern, of modern Italy. Italy. Then, of course, uh, some parts were lost uh, after the Second World War because uh, of the 
Italy lost the war and mm -hmm. so part per, lost some part of territory. But uh, um, I think the what is the modern new Italy was uh, the territory was already reached in the, more or less after the World War First one. And has Italian nationalism changed from time of unification to right now? Like I like it all. It is relatively a young country, so. The ideas, like at that time, it was a very Machiavellian way of bringing a lot of Italian states together and one strong prince. And after that, that was a monarchy, mm -hmm. correct? And then Italy became a republic, yeah. and then it became a fascist, uh, fascist state uh, uh, under Mussolini. And it was no monarchy, then fascism, fascism, and then uh, there was a referendum mm -hmm. in the Italian war after World War Two. Yes, okay. for the Republic. Okay, so it went directly to fascism from monarchy? Yeah. Ah, okay. No, actually, they were in, together. It was uh, um, the monarchy, when f the f fascism, uh, they kind of won the elections, they got the legitimation from the, the monarchy. So it was like a constitutional monarchy where there was like a parliament, but also a monarch? Yes. Okay. Exactly, yes. Uh, the, and that's why the Italians were very upset with the monarchy because uh, um, they kind of uh, supported the, the fa fascism. They only only late when they saw that uh, uh, we were losing the war, they mm. they took a position against fascism. So how did fascism came to be in Italy? Italy is the first fascist state. Uh, Germany came later, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So I think that ideology of fascism kind mm -hmm. of um, came from the Mussolini version of it. Yes. And other states copied it. Copied it as an integrated it to their own particular needs. So what made like the Renaissance, what made Italy a breeding ground, a place where fascist ideas could take place during uh, that time? I think one is uh, the political instability. Italy, after uh, uh, it, it reached its union, it was a liberal. Uh, uh, okay, it, uh, okay, it, it, it was a it has, it has a parliament that they could uh, people could vote. Very few par po position of uh, population part part of population could vote, mm -hmm. but it was very fragmented. So it was very weak all the times. The the government could not rule. The, the country in a good way. It was mm. too, too fra fragmented. Right. So it was lack of uh, strong central power for right. fascism. It was the result of that. And then of uh, economy. Because when you have uh, the economy is going bad, uh, people is, uh, population is facing uh, economic and social problems. Uh, this creates uh, the good conditions for... Um, Extremist uh, ideologies. Yes, like in, uh, in Germany with the Nazism, um, so this was, uh, the, the, all this, uh, all this uh, created uh, the need, uh, the Italians needed, uh, I think, a strong central power that would give, uh, given stability and uh, also development, uh, growth. Right. So the, 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 the hope with fascism was to solve this kind of, kind of problems. Right. But if you were to compare Italian version of fascism and German version of fascism, there wasn't an, like 
uh, a clear, how do you say? In the German version, there's this conspiracy that the, the reason, at least Hitler's propaganda was, the reason they lost World War One was a Jewish conspiracy between the communists and the Americans, mm -hmm. and Germany kind of capitulated because of a Jewish conspiracy. And there was these racial divisions of people, of the Ubermensch, Undermensch, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But in Italian fashion, that kind of extremely hateful ideologies weren't as much present as far as I know. It was more of a political, I'll call it ultra-nationalist way of fascism where Italian people who are born in this particular part of the world have a claim to create or expand as an empire. Yes, yes, they, they really, uh, the idea of fascism uh, was to, uh, that Italy for many centuries has, has been, uh, <coughs> uh, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, lost its uh, prestige. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to, to reestablish these uh, old glorious times. times. Uh, and the way to do that uh, is uh, to uh, promote, uh, no, to expand the, 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 from a territorial point of view, to have an empire, to defend the Italian culture, the Italian language. Uh, so everything it, what is, that is, was related with Italy was the, the best, mm -hmm. the, the, the way for development was everything related with, the, with Italian. Right. And, uh, <coughs> and so in the origin, uh, I think the, no, f f uh, um, the racial laws were taken in, at the end of the fascist, fascist period. Uh, but they were not something that characterized it since uh, the beginning. Mm -hmm. Of course, there were uh, some kind of. Uh, it was uh, everything that was different from fascism was uh, was en was uh, considered as an enemy. So uh, all the other political ideas mm -hmm. uh, are, uh, had to be fought, and they, they were not allowed. There was only one idea: the fascist idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Uh, uh, maybe the, the racial thing was something indirect because when you say the Italian is the best, uh, uh, of course it means that the others yeah, are, are, are worse than worse than you. Uh, but uh, they, at least uh, in Italy, they were at the beginning, or uh, they were not this phenomenon of concentration camps, uh, right. like in uh, in Germany, where uh, yeah. what, what the things that were been done. Yeah. Only in the last part, the uh, Mussolini supported this, and they, they were part of this crime. Mm. And I think this idea of going back to your mm -hmm. culture and looking at his past and saying, this was a great, glorious time, and if you take me as a leader, I can bring back that time, like mm -hmm. make America great again, mm -hmm. that kind of rhetoric. It's becoming more and more common in a lot of uh, current political scenarios in the world. In India's case, it's the same. Mm -hmm. Like we kind of believe that there is this great Indian civilization before the Muslim invaders came from the Persian side and the British colonialists came. And our job is to go back to that, like utopia. And that's kind of a rhetoric which it's getting more friction and more traction right now, which is kind of also what the fascists used during that time. So it kind of, how do you say, 
it's kind of a wedding trend in current global geopolitics. What do you think about that? Yes, it's uh, definitely it's uh, f- despite the fascism, uh, uh, it's out uh, out law in Italy. In the constitution is written that it's, uh, uh, everything, all signs, symbols, or ideas that. Uh, uh, evocate uh, fascism is uh, outlaw, uh, but this idea is still uh, alive. Yeah, there are many people. They have nostalgia of that. They indirectly they support uh, fascist ideas. They don't do not cannot use the way fascism, but the idea is exactly the same. So, how are you kind of as kids in school? How is this part of Italian history? Kind, how do you? digest that part I, I also want to ask this question to Germans as well because they might have had like their grandfathers or grandmothers who were actually part of this regime in history which from our perspective in time is very evil in the way they treated a lot of people so how is the generation of Italians who were born after the fall of fascism how are they taught to look back into that time in their in history Italy, uh, there was a, uh, in the Second World War there was a civil war at a certain point when the, the started the invasion occupation of uh, Allied forces that started from Sicily so from southern Italy uh, and it was clear that or it was collapsing the the fascism Mussolini it started a civil war so a part of the country continued to support. Mussolini. Mussolini and the part was uh, fighting against him and f- about fascism and this uh, like contrast uh, is still uh, did not finish uh, it uh, still exists uh, how? Uh, how it's uh, there are some um, uh, people that have a kind of still nostalgia of Mussolini of uh, fascist period uh, they are, so they kind of they look in a, like it was they think they the fascism did good things for Italy mm. uh, they don't see the war and all the crimes that were done as a, a major mistake uh, there is an example, the 25th of April in Italy is uh, considered as the Independence Day from fascism. Mm-hmm. There is a, a part of the population of Italy that celebrate this date and others that uh, they, they don't celebrate, they, say it's, um, they don't see the point of celebrating it. Right. Um, so it's a very, there are very dividing uh, um, issues in the Italian society still. Based on what happened, but also in Spain, if you look at the Spain and uh, the experience uh, along the dictatorship of Francisco Franco, Franco, there is like in Italy, I think there is uh, still uh, uh, two Spains, uh, or okay, maybe more Spains, but at least uh, there is two different uh, mm. uh, polarized uh, Spain. One that is uh, strongly against Franco period, and others that say have nostalgia. They say, well, but. Uh, Maybe it was not perfect, but with this but, <laughs> they say a lot. <laughs> but is this common among people who are very old and actually lived during 
Mussolini period or is it coming in the young people also who are kind of being indoctrinated? I think it's uh, this is something transversal because during the uh, uh, period of the fascism people there were people that suffered that and of course they are against fascism and the, but others were really supporting it they got benefits from the fascist so fascist fascism so they at that time they they supported and for them it was a bad moment when it collapsed when we had the republic and we started with the democratic institutions uh, actually, the few years after the collapse of the Soviet of uh, of, um, of uh, Mussolini, it, uh, new of, during the the fascism, all the political parties were outlawed. So the, it exists only one political party. But when it started, then again the Italian political system after. Uh, there was uh, already the one of the party that we, was uh, established. Uh, of course, it was not ca called fascist pe uh, party, but uh, it has fascist ideas, or they supported. Uh, uh, they didn't did not hide. Uh, they mm. liked that, that, that kind that the way of seeing the society, seeing the the world. And still exists, of course, it changed the, the name, it's changed the, the, the politician changed, but the ideas are, are all the same. And the base idea is like Italians are the best. Yes, That's the yes. also in the, you see now there is the issues to, to solve related with the, with migration. Immigration, yeah. So we'll get to that. <laughs> this is a, a dividing topic Especially between in how to manage these uh, the people that come from uh, these countries. Uh, countries. Do you shoot the, to the boats and uh, kick them out, or find a way to in, give uh, them amnesty? To, to, to usually, or in the way you uh, the relations with Europe. Yeah. Uh, somebody perceives Europe as a problem, as a uh, an obstacle to be, and we have to get rid of it. Others they see, no, maybe it gives opportunities, and. Um, or all the things related with the uh, family or to how to see uh, like uh, there is a, now a big debates now about uh, the abortion uh, okay not anymore uh, of course is, is still somebody that would like to uh, uh, remove this law but mm -hmm. i think it's a minority but when you think about family or oh, what is a family it's a family only when there is a union between a man and woman mm, right uh, or other kind of um, like uh, between a man uh, and a man or, yeah, woman, or um, yes it's uh, like the whole spectrum of lgbtq or uh, how to to see almost homosexuality mm -hmm. so these are really dividing uh, dividing topics uh, in italy yes 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 wow interesting because and the trend is kind of worrying too. If like like I told before, that trend of going to this past utopia and the rhetoric which is coming from a lot of places in the world right now. And Mussolini felt Italy becomes a republic. The referendum happened. Italians choose yes, to become yes, a republic. Yes. And Italy gets into the Western, like let's say NATO or the European Union's no, European mm -hmm. Union, like the American yes, sphere the Atlantic of Atlantic bloc. Atlantic bloc, yeah. exactly. And 
one uh, one of my the most interesting Italians for me is Antonio Gramsci. Ah he, yes, yes. He yes. was a communist during Mussolini's time, and he was like jailed, and mm-hmm. he wrote his notes from his, his diaries, j- his diaries, which mm-hmm. is really important um, uh, philosophical reading, and his mm-hmm. idea of the hegemon, hegemon, mm-hmm. cultural hegemony is really, really important in international relations and, you know, anything related to the humanities field. What happened to him? How do Italians view Antonio Gramsci? Uh, Italy was uh, polar, strongly polarized from a political point of view. Antonio Gramsci is uh, uh, one of intellectual of the communist, Italian Communist Party. So for uh, a part of the Italian uh, uh, society was uh, a reference uh, for others no mm. uh, after the second world war there was a strong uh, political fight between the, the communist party and the democratic uh, can, uh, party the democratic party was supporting alliance with america communist party alliance with the russian with, uh, Ra- uh, with, with the soviet, soviet union, union. so it, it, uh, the ideology of course is reflected this uh, mm. this polarization did Gramsci survive World War II? Well, mm, I don't know very well this point of, <laughs> of uh, I think he died in the in the uh, in jail in, in jail oh okay I think but, mm, okay I'll read up on that okay so then after World War II, it's mm-hmm. like the Marshall Plan comes into Europe, which is like reconstructing whole of Europe and like it all the great economic miracle happened in mm-hmm. Italy. One important thing which happened during that time is Germany, England, all these countries opened up hugely to immigration from other countries to help rebuild Europe provide the cheap labor to build Europe. Did the same happen in Italy? Because <laughs> when I look at the Italian population right now, I, 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 at least it's not reflected for me that a huge amount of immigration happened in the uh, 60s and 70s, so that there will be like, first, now it would be like third generation mm-hmm. immigrants, which is the case in, let's say, France and England and to a lesser extent in Germany. Germany has like Turkish immigrations too. Why didn't that happen in Italy? And how? Italy was uh, uh, one of one of the European countries with the worst economic situation in the, after the, the Second World War, so it was not a very attractive country. Uh, first point. The second, Italy did not have a, a colonial empire, so it was not uh, an attractive destination from countries differently from France. France was. Uh, uh, a country that had to be uh, rebuilt completely, like Italy, but uh, it could uh, enjoy the uh, workforce, uh, labor force from uh, its previous colonies. So but Germany couldn't. At least West Germany couldn't. Germany, um, Germany started, I think, a little bit later, but not, not very, very much later. But uh, Germany, I think, the industrial. Uh, um, <coughs> basis of of Germany was was much stronger than uh, hmm. uh, than Italy. Especially in Italy, there were two Italies: uh, Northern Italy and Southern Italy. Northern Northern Italy recovered much faster. Uh, Why? 
Why because it, historically it was uh, uh, the uh, uh, the southern Italy was mostly agricultural oh. uh, oriented economy, so there were few factories. The majority of factories were in northern Italy in the triangle. Um, uh, Lombardy region. Yes, Milan, Genoa, Genoa and uh, Turin. Ah. And this was industrial triangle of Italy, so the industries were were located there. So. Uh, Italy experienced uh, first the migration uh, from southern Italy to other parts of Europe and then from southern Italy to northern Italy. Mm. Um, so Italy was uh, for many years was a country where people were uh, going abroad. Like that's why there's a huge Italian immigration population in the United States. Yes. In Argentina for the for example the Argentina episode I did his mother was from Argentina, mm. and he gave me a lot of examples how Italian Spanish influenced yes, Spanish yes, in yes, Buenos Aires. So why? But that phenomenon started in the 1800s. Would you be, would you would you be able to say because the financial situation or the prospects were not so good in Italy, emigration from Italy to the North and South Americas happened, and that was kind of like a foreshadow for. No, I can't say foreshadow for fascism. Like that just shows how difficult the economic situation was in Italy. Yes, yes, definitely. The, and that Italy, is the reason for the Italy was uh, after the unification had huge uh, economic problems. Uh, fascism tried to to solve something, um, but uh, Italy experienced a huge. Migration to other uh, to other countries in all the, all these decades. Right. When did it stop? Actually, I think uh, um, from the, after the economic boom in Italy in the sixties and seventies. Uh, I think in the seventies uh, the migration um, uh, uh, changed. Mm. Uh, mostly of the migration was uh, uh, okay. It was still continuing to. Countries like Ger Germany, Belgium, also France, but many already started to choose to stay in Italy, northern Italy. Mm. So t t tell us about the 60s and 70s. What, I think that is like, how do you say, the Vespa time, like when Vespa became like a global phenomenon and all the Italian cars were getting famous and all that. Yes. W was that um, in like a government prioritized manufacturing in that triangle you told, where the made in Italy thing came, where Italian products became associated with uh, quality, luxury, status, and all these things, and that kind of pushed the Italian economy to be in a state of, uh, like a bit, I'm sorry, a bullish state. Would, would, would you claim it? Claim, would you be able to say that it's because the government manufactured, I mean, prioritized manufacturing? In that time, it was a period when uh, the people really wanted to um, uh, reconstruct the, <coughs> completely the, the country. So there was there was much more uh, initiative. There was uh, uh, the voluntary, the, the willingness to give a bit better future for them and for their kids. So um, they were really all working very hard to, to completely re rebuild the, the country, mm. not only in the manufacture, of course, that was uh, um, 
Italy was very active in many, many uh, fields, uh, in many um, industry areas. And then uh, the world was very different in the 60s, 70s compared to now. Uh, now it's much more globalized. Right. Uh, at, that, that, at that time, uh, if you wanted to compete uh, in, in trade, uh, uh, the competition was uh, much, much lower than now. Now you, now an Italian company has to compete with... Uh, uh, South Asian companies, uh, Southeast Asian companies, yes, it's almost uh, impossible. With the labor charges, yes, the difference in that. It's completely different. Uh, world now or you have to the way when you, the, the idea of, of production of uh, making a product in uh, in the 60s 70s is uh, completely different from uh, from there to now now that also the uh, mm, uh, uh, revolution created by the by the internet or yeah. by the um, digital revolution really created uh, you can make money from uh, a computer, from the internet, and exactly. it was something unbelievable <laughs> in right. the 60s. Uh, you, you had a factory, you have to go to make a good product and sell it. Um, of course, still exists this, but now it's more, uh, it's changed. <laughs> so what does Italy, what's the major source of revenue for it, Italy at this point of time? Where does Italy get its money from? When? In the right now. In the, uh, right now, yeah. I, th I think still now from the uh, um, way of, of okay, this uh, uh, manufacturing, manufacturing still. Mm. The, 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 but the niche the, products like cars, that's the first thing that comes to my mind cars and bikes, Ducati, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Maserati. This, there is, it still exists in, in Italian. Uh, uh, Right. Car producers, automobile sector still exists, but of course it's much more uh, globalized because mm. we have our, our, our own uh, like uh, car um, uh, companies like Fiat. Fiat, uh, yeah. Uh, but now you know they come to survive this. Uh, this uh, have to take uh, the manufacturing to another country. This is one thing, and then they have to merge with. Uh, now they merge with the French. Uh, Renault. Uh, yeah, no, no, with uh, Peugeot. Peugeot, yeah. They merged because uh, if you want to compete with the Mercedes or Volkswagen, uh, uh, if you if you are uh, not a big. Okay, like city states in Italy, you, you, you need to you, merge. You, you need to merge to to compete because uh, uh, bigger fish can eat you. So, yeah. I don't know if we can say that Fiat is still Italian because they are they are located mm. legally in the Netherlands or in, in the net or in Britain, Great Britain to pay low taxes. taxes yeah. uh, then they produce cars, uh, some in Italy, some in Poland, some I don't know in <laughs> in China. And yeah. So it's re really complex. The, um, After, in in a globalized world to say yes, yes mm. it's much more complex now. I think. So you think you're buying an Italian car, but then uh, how, how much is Italian? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, maybe just the brand, maybe yeah, just the market. Or is like this, uh, computers. Uh, the idea, the idea is uh, developed in the maybe in the, in the States, but then it is assembled and in made somewhere in, else. In, in somewhere else. Exactly. So, is it fully American this computer? I don't think so. It's definitely not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. So. 
when did the bus come to a stop? When did I, like, uh, all Western economies after the post-war, uh, the boomer generation, they had this incredible rate of growth and prosperity, and then it kind of plateaued. And that was when, like, the Eastern economies started to pick up pace and mm-hmm. all the manufacturing jobs, like you were t- telling, went to China, Korea, Japan, mm-hmm. all these places. And the globalization kind of took the prosperity of the middle class and Western countries and kind of spread it to the mm-hmm. Eastern emerging economies. Does that add with the current wave of immigration that Europe was facing between 2000, in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Does that make Italy, which I believe Italy or Greece receives the most amount of immigrants from North Africa in all mm-hmm. of Europe, does that make it more, uh, does that make it a fertile ground for radical ideologies like we had before, does it? breed that kind of thing and what is the reality in that in Italy because you hear about Poland, Hungary, a lot of states, even France with Marine Le Pen's party kind of favoring that anti-immigrant sentiment which is growing louder and louder every day in Europe. So Italy is the front line in that because the people actually land on the shores of Italy. So what does the Italian people think about that? Of course this is... uh a direct impact on uh, on society on also on the po- political uh, uh, actually now for the the most popular uh, Italian party after the the last polls is uh, is a is a party that is uh, really is the I could say directly uh, fascist origin because they um, there it's it's a right party mm-hmm. uh, but they their political history is directly connected with the fascism so they really um, find a very easy ground now to to grow uh, when because they support ideas of that uh, migrants are coming and are stealing our jobs they we pay a lot of taxes. They come here and they get a lot of get a easily a lot of benefits. benefits. When for us it's difficult. Uh, we are poorer than uh, the previous generation. Previous generation. So of course this is uh, this is a, an issue that concerns not only Italy and also demographic issue. You see that uh, uh, Italians are um, the. Uh, natality rate it's very low mm-hmm. uh, the population is older and older you need youth young people these young people uh, are come from uh, uh, other countries so it's also a loss of your uh, uh, perceived loss of um, uh, your cultural identity right so for I think it's uh, for them, it's uh, it's easy not only in Italy but also in other in countries, other countries too, to yeah. find political support. But these are all uh, issues uh, that I think, um, yes, they are crucial. They should. Uh, it, it's important to, to have uh, 
No, the, the, the political parties uh, uh, and also the society thinks uh, seriously, seriously about all these uh, these uh, challenging challenges and try to to find uh, uh, real solutions because often the um, these uh, uh, parties that are called populist parties. Uh, uh, they all always identified uh, with the e easy words, e easy uh, solutions to complex problem. problems, and uh, that for common people with no education, it's uh, makes sense. It makes sense. It's say yes, they're they're right, but then the reality is much more more complicated than than it is. Uh, so I think these uh, slogans they do not uh, they're not the good way to to solve uh, problems mm. but have you noticed like this anti-globalist trend across europe where for example when brexit happened that was like directly people voting that we don't want to be part of this globalist government structure of the european union we want our own autonomy and yes, we want yes, yes. and i expect that sentiment to rise over the past mm -hmm. over the next few years and it would be really interesting and kind of nervous to see how the world would be in that because we have had this decades of relative peace and globalization has made i think movement of people the easiest and quickest in almost mm -hmm. all of human history and when that sentiment gets to a particular how do you say particular point it would be quite interesting and quite you yeah, have to be very anxious of how the world is going to look but the interesting thing is like when the middle class of one part of the world becomes less prosperous than their previous generation mm -hmm. while in the other part of the world let's say india china and all these other economies their mm -hmm. middle class is becoming more prosperous mm -hmm. than the previous generation it creates resentment here while it creates opportunity here and that kind of how to say the n narrative in the media is also shifting from a very from what i noticed from my s short time here mm -hmm. a very euro focused a united states focused narrative to more uh, attention being given to what china's doing what in a sense to what Russia is doing because these are the powers which are challenging this let's call it he hegemony of information which mm -hmm. we had before mm -hmm. so it would be really interesting to watch how that happens mm -hmm. well yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you're watching the game tomorrow where are you watching yes I'm watching the game tomorrow. where are you watching not at home I, uh, at home yes, yes dude yes, like so there's this bar which me and my friends went to it's like a patio so mm -hmm. it's outside and you don't need to show qr code to get in ah, so okay me i was wearing my england shirt and there was like a lot of these friends of mine and we we're all chanting it's come you know it's come. <laughs> it's a nice song <laughs> yeah so what do you think what's going to happen in the final everything it's possible this is very very um balanced balance yeah because both teams are good. They showed uh, very interesting, uh, two different ideas of football in this, uh, uh, in the championship. So I think it's uh, and then it kind of uh, they're very good, very good uh, traditions, different exactly. English and Italian. But can I be honest? 
Italian team has not played like a traditional Italian team and English team has not played, played like a traditional English team in this tournament. Italy has been really interesting and fun to watch. A traditional Italian team is very aggressive, very defensive, but they score a goal or two and they defend yes. and they get the match done. That's a traditional Italian team. A traditional English team is, they have like two or three superstars who are there to dictate, but they underperform and some, there'll be some distraction happening and it's going to be a mess. But this team has been very united. There aren't any like ego superstars in the team and they played quite also well. I say, from the matches I watched, Italy has been more entertaining than England to watch. But England has also played better than how a usually English team plays. Yeah. So for me, this is like two teams which have actually evolved to a new identity. And they are playing against, against each other. So it's going to be really fun. And you have like Bonucci and Cellini, who, I, who I've been watching since I was a kid. I, I know Cellini. Cellini looked the same yeah. almost 12 years ago. He's the same guy and he still looks the same. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I think both both trainers did uh, the teams did a very good job. Yes, Southgate and Mancini. Yes. So, how important is football in Italy? I know it's like a stupid question because I know how important it is, but football also has a little bit of uh, ideological history during the fascist regime where this idea of sports and physical fitness and masculinity became a really important aspect of. Mussolini's time and Italian ultra fan ultras culture is kind of like the grandfather culture of Europe from which all ultras cultures began yes and the the impact of politics in mm -hmm. Italian football well Berlusconi was the man I mean the owner of AC yes. Milan and he was the prime minister once upon a time so football is very much ingrained into Italian culture so what do you have to say about that it's true it's um, yeah uh, ancient <coughs> Romans said, used to say, pane uh, met circensem. So for the population, it's important to have uh, uh, bread and uh, circus. circus, so entertainment. Uh, so it's it's true. It's a com important component of uh, uh, to make people uh, yes to, to rule society also. Mm. <laughs> and uh, but it's true. In the, in the last few years, Italy was very disappointed that it could not participate in the. In the, la in the last World Cup in Russia, uh, it was, I think, the first time in history Italy did not participate. Uh, so it was really lost of um, support from uh, mm. Italy and uh, from, uh, from, the, from the public. And uh, now, three years after, it, of course, it has been a very long and difficult path. Uh, again, people uh, are again very much uh, uh, supportive of the team. So yes, I think the uh, coach and the, all the players did very good work. Yeah. Yes. So uh, did, did, did you have a football club you supported? I like Napoli. Napoli? Yes, yes. But you're from Tuscan, Napoli is in Neapolitana. Yes, but um, my father is from there, so it ah. transmitted to this interest okay. for this team. Napoli's ultras are very intense. Yes, yes, yes. And it's part of the... Napolitan and Southern Italian, yeah. Italian uh, spirit. Spirit. So, have you been to any of the big stadiums like San Siro, Giuseppe Miasa, I've been in uh, Olimpico? Uh, in 
in Siena, the stadium is a small one, but for a few years it, Siena played in Serie A. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, like when uh, famous, famous uh, footballers uh, from Serie A came. Who? No, uh, like Milan, Juventus came to Siena and played. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, and then also been uh, to uh, Florence. Uh -huh. Fiorentina. Fiorentina is uh, close to Siena. So it's, ah, uh, wow, dude. <laughs> These are like, how do you say? Teams which we only see on TV and on FIFA. So when every time I talk to a European, you're like, you live there. You should go to that stadium every week. That's yeah. what I tell them. But once I started living in Russia, I'm like, I can't go every week <laughs> towards Spartak or yeah. Dynamo. But yeah, that is interesting. One other thing I want to ask you is, yeah. why is all the terminologies related to coffee mm -hmm. Italian? Like espresso, americano, grande, cappuccino, latte, all these are Italian words. Like every, almost every terminology in, related to coffee is Italian. I think because it's um, in Italy we have a, a strong uh, culture of, of coffee. Hmm. For us, it's uh, it's important. Uh, it's important component of uh, life. You start your day with a with a coffee. <laughs> Uh, you, you get up, you need a coffee too, and then it accompanies during all the day. Ah. Italian, uh, when you meet a friend, they it only it's, drink it's, it's common to go to a bar and uh, drink a coffee together. And uh, Italian, I think they're not standard. They they don't like standard things. They <laughs> everyone wants something uh, different, uh, shaped to it. To it's uh, tasty, so that's why they invented so many <laughs> types of things. <laughs> and how did the entire world kind of adopt the same term? Do you think it's because the immigration out of Italy just took all these and then that came to America and then Americanization happened and the rest of the world used it? Do you think that's the, part, that's the way it went out of Italy? I think it's part of... Uh, because we do not export every, all the things related with coffees, but uh, in... Uh, Cuisine, I think uh, the Italian influence is very strong. It is. So um, anything that uh, we invent, uh, I think quite uh, easily. Uh, goes, People copy. <laughs> goes, uh, comes internet, gets an international dimension. Yeah. And what's your favorite Italian restaurant in Moscow? What's the most authentic Italian restaurant in Moscow? <laughs> I. I've been in few Italian restaurants in Moscow. When I'm abroad, I like to to taste something that I cannot find in my country. Hmm. So I'm not. Uh, I can. I, I know that there are in Facebook there are communities of Italian living in Moscow. Mm -hmm. uh, one of their favorite uh, um, discussion is what about is the best <laughs> restaurant, the best pizza in Moscow. Uh, I don't participate in this uh, <laughs> in this debates. So maybe it would be better um, to ask to some of my uh, <laughs> Italian compatriots. Compatriots <laughs> living. Mm, that's interesting. But yeah. And what do you know about India? Do you know like the most powerful? I I, I yeah. I'll just make that statement. The, the most powerful person in the opposition party of India. No. Is actually an Italian. Really? Ah. Her name is Sonia Gandhi. Ah, okay. you know, right? Yes, yes. So she yes, married yes. Um, our previous Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi, uh -huh. and he was assassinated. So after his death, he has a son named Rahul Gandhi and a 
daughter named Priyanka Gandhi. So she kind of became the de facto head of that Congress party, okay. which has been like ruling India for three generations after the death of Rajiv. Mm -hmm. So she is like the most powerful person in, one of the most powerful persons in Indian politics, and she's actually Italian. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so do, do, do Italians know about her? No, I think we mostly know India from uh, other points of view. Mm -hmm. It's a very <coughs> popular destination for all what is connected with the uh, yoga or mm -hmm. meditation, uh, right. this, this kind of more philosophical uh, approach, uh, cuisine f f for sure, then also the touristic uh, uh, destination. Right. Many are, are very attracted by uh, India. Mm -hmm. um, uh, these are, I think, the, the most uh, known aspects. Uh, now, for uh, I don't know, from the education point of view, or, I know, no, India is also famous for having very good engineers. Uh, right. Uh, from the te technological point of view, it's um, doing yes, decently well. Yes, and also from business point of view, it's one of the consider of the countries where there are most potential for uh, okay the, the future is going is moving to this uh, to, to, uh, to the east. Yes, it's um, at least in terms of the middle class prosperity, the trend is pointing towards the yes. east. which is which is like going to make us ask a lot of questions about geopolitics in the next yeah. few years. It's going to be interesting. Sure. So before we finish, uh, I want you to like check this really famous scene from the movie Inglorious Bastards, where they speak Italian. Have you seen that scene? The movie? I, I don't think so. It's like Quentin Tarantino movie. And um, it's like they try to speak Italian. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really funny, but I want an Italian speaker to tell me how accurate they are speaking the Italian. Mm -hmm. so. so I'll give you like the um, the concept. So this is a theater in Paris, mm -hmm. and these three gentlemen are American agents mm -hmm. who are dressing up as Italian movie directors. Mm -hmm. This woman is a German double agent. Mm -hmm. So she wants to get these guys into this theater because Adolf Hitler's in that theater and they want to kill him. But there's one German general mm -hmm. who is like really good with languages and accents. Mm -hmm. So this is the scene where that general confronts this group of spies, mm -hmm. let's call them. Ich befürchte, dass keiner von Ihnen ein einziges Wort Deutsch spricht. Es sind Freunde aus Italien. Dies hier ist der hervorragende Sensationsdarsteller Enzo Gorlon. Ein sehr talentierter Kameramann, Antonio Margheriti und Antonios Kameraassistent Dominique de Cocco. Signori, questo ist ein vecchio amico mio, Colonello Hans Lande della SS. Buongiorno, Signori, è piacere. Gli amici della vedetta ammirata da tutti noi che sacciamo proprio della nostra cultura saranno naturalmente accolti sotto la mia protezione per la durata del loro soggiorno. Grazie. Gorlomi? Lo pronuncio correttamente? Uh, sì, uh, corretto. Gorlomi? Per cortesia, me lo ripeti ancora. Uh, 
Gorlami. Mi scusi, con me? Gorlami. Ancora una volta. Gorlami. E come si chiama lei? Antonio Margareti. Ancora? Margareti. Un'altra volta, ma adesso vorrei proprio sentire la musica delle parole. Margareti. Margariti. E lei? Dominic de Coco. Come? Dominic de Coco. Bravo. Bravo. Glaube, meine Kamerafreunde müssen ihre Plätze finden. So that's the scene. <laughs> so, first question. How good is the Rush, uh, Italian of Hans Lander? Played by Christopher Waltz. It's the. It has an accent. Mm -hmm. Okay, there is a, is a way of speaking or not of an Italian speaker. So you know he's an Italian speaker? Yes. And, yes. and is, is that how a German would speak Italian or an Austrian would speak Italian? Yes, it's kind of uh, from that uh, Austrian speaker, German speaker, yeah. German speaker version of yes. it. Yes. And how was the Italian of the Americans? <laughs> With a, also a strange accent and uh, of course as a foreigner. So. so would you be able to instantly tell these guys are Americans from the accents? Yes, it's possible to identify like, the country. Forget uh, Brad Pitt because he kind of makes it very obvious but the other guy like Dominic De Coco mm -hmm. and um, Antonio Margheretti so mm -hmm. would you be able to instantly tell that guy's American from the accent yes if they say a few words it's possible to there are countries where it's uh, rather, very obvious very very obvious Fra France it's very easy Spanish so Spanish speaker countries very easy uh -huh. German is rather easy mm. uh, also Russian is possible so yes it's uh, <laughs> there are many, many. Wow, this, this is, this is a quite interesting. Because in this movie, there's another scene where there's, he identifies a British spy mm -hmm. based on the accent of German he was speaking. Mm -hmm. But the key moment is that he orders three beers. So in English speaking society, we say three like this. Mm -hmm. But in German, they do three like this. Ah, okay. So when he does three like this, this, the German office instantly knows, okay, this guy's a spy. Yes. And this movie has a lot of these linguistic uh, nuances which ah, it okay. used to add a lot of flavor to the movie. That's why I wanted to ask an Italian how this scene is, <laughs> which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. So what is the most common Italian accent which foreigners speak? Or like, which, wh who, which is the most highest immigrant community in Italy at this point of time? Hmm, good question. I mean, without the, let's say, immigrants who've been there for a long time, not the recent past 10 years, mm -hmm. which would be the most community which has a lot of immigrants in Italy? But there was a period in the 90s, the Albanian community was, uh, was really big hmm. because it was the closest country to when it collapsed the Soviet Union. So right. we had a big uh, wave of migration from uh, from Albania right uh, then uh, we had the wave from um, northern Africa like uh, um, yes countries in uh, located in the no northern Africa uh, does this like, include Morocco Algeria yes, Tunisia yes 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 okay many from them um, and then also from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, many are from uh, Romania. 
mm. because also the language is uh, rather similar. Okay. Mm. Quite a lot also from Ukraine are in the late, latest years are uh, more and more. And then, uh, of course, now with the... Uh, from, from Africa now we have uh, a lot. But not just Africa, right? Like this was... The, the big increase happened during the Syrian civil war. Yeah. A lot of Syrians and that had a lot of, like Afghan people, people from all mm-hmm. these conflict zones coming towards it. Mm, interesting. But what... what how do you think is the process for an immigrant who has nothing when they come to the when they come to Italy? I think once they land in the zone of the eurozone, they are by default granted amnesty. No, granted amnesty. What happens to them? I think they are in. Uh, uh, they are, uh, if they are come with the, without documents, they go in uh, these kind of refugee camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they have to stay until when they don't uh, clarify their, their their status. But since there are people without documents, this can take uh, really a lot of time. So to identify the person and uh, if it asks for asylum to check if uh, there are the, the conditions to accept this. Mm. And this takes a lot of time and uh, these are centers are uh, overcrowded. So it, it makes all the, the process completely not very difficult. But are these centers in Italy or even if you're a, you're a refugee who lands on Italian shores, you can be taken to another European Union country? The rule this. is that uh, uh, when it arrives in a European country, then it's a responsibility of that country. Of but that, that country. But that was very unfair because the yeah, country is very uh, overloaded. Like uh, Italy and Greece, Greece has to take. Uh, yes. So they decided to make some kind of uh, reallocation of, uh, of refugees. And um, so countries decided to to take part of them but this was uh, and this showed like this uh, the limits of the European Union I think is that because there are countries that were ready to to help in a in solidarity while others uh, did not want mm. and this this creates some problems yeah because you are taking one country is taking the brunt of the load yeah. while the other does not want to share yes yes exactly interesting well, I, I think I covered all the points I wanted to ask you. Do you have anything else you want to say to the audience about Italy or anything like that? I Italy think it culture? was a very complete interview. <laughs> <laughs> it took a lot of topics. I didn't expect many to talk about many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I knew, maybe I would have... Uh, <laughs> no, you, you, you were very detailed <laughs> and very uh, articulate. The mm-hmm. way you answer it, which is really good. My mm-hmm. voice is a little bit cracked after screaming about England <laughs> the other day. And we are doing it, no, no, you should please. You're doing it in the library, so the sound quality might be slightly different. But I think we didn't have too much of a problem with it. Just a few in the starting people were there. But after that, everything was good. And um, what else? I just want to say I'm so happy that you came. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. <laughs> yes, and it's my first European country, it- Italia. <laughs> And uh, I want to learn Italian, but after I learn my Spanish, once my Spanish gets to a good old, I think it's going to be so much easier to learn Italian. But yeah, it'll be easier. <laughs> it'll be easier. For you too. 
and um, I hope that I would be able to come to Italy one day and go to all the major stadiums. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go to the Sistine Chapel. I don't want to go to like um, the historical monuments. I don't want to see uh, Venice or Florence. I want to go to the stadiums, Giuseppe Miasa, San Siro, uh, Roma. Uh, Estadio Olimpico. These are my places of worship, and mm-hmm. I just want to go there and meet some <laughs> Italian fans, and hopefully try some Italian food too. Yeah. So, uh, with that, I want to say thank you again, and we have come to the end of the twenty-first episode of Machamos World Podcast, Italia. Thank you.